Good to be here this morning. I like to say it's good to be anywhere, um, but uh, it's especially good to be here. Anyway, we're going to continue on. Kind of a deceiving title. So we like to do around here is deceive you guys with titles. Um, vibrant patience um, today as we're moving on in our series in the book of Acts because we're going to actually talk about hypocrisy ultimately, but we didn't think that was a good title, like vibrant hypocrisy. So we're going vibrant patience, and I'll get you there hopefully uh, to where we're at. Anyway, uh, just let's jump right in. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, uh, this is what the scripture says, I think. Yes. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, speaking of Jesus, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus uh, says here, he says, uh, this is before he ascends, okay? It's before Acts chapter 2 where uh, the Holy Spirit shows up in the upper room. There's all these manifestations that happen. But before that, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Everyone say wait. So um, when you begin to read the book of Acts and you read some of these scriptures, uh, there's obviously a connection to waiting for power. uh, but, But ultimately, there's some specific reasons that we wait, that we're called to have patience Uh, Jesus invited them to wait in Jerusalem, have patience, and we're still called to have patience uh, for a lot of different things, but wait for power. But what was the power for? Obviously, the power of the Holy Spirit was released, and all of a sudden, there's all sorts of manifestations that start to happen. Uh, Jesus had already been functioning in those, uh, but they start to happen through the church, right? Like gifts of miracles, speaking in tongues, uh, words of knowledge, prophetic gifts, uh, gifts of healing, laying, people start laying hands on the sick and they recover, clear, referring to that. That's a gift of healing being released in the body. So there's obviously the power of the gifts of the Spirit to be released. But Jesus specifically says in Matthew 28 and then here in Acts 1, he says, go to Jerusalem and then you're going to go to, and we talked about this a little bit last week, you're going to go to um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, and you're going to produce disciples. So in other words, the power that's being released, you're waiting, we were, they were waiting, and we wait constantly for the power of God, not only that we would be disciples, that we would live into the kind of life that God's called us to, that we would have the power of God in our life. You cannot live into the full plan of God outside of the power of God being released in your life and me as well. So we wait for the power to become disciples, to live into the life we're called to as disciples and then to make disciples, the scripture says. So that's what we're waiting for. We're patient in this process. We're all in process. If you have given your life to Christ, you're in this sanctification process, which is just a fancy word for just this ongoing process. There's ongoing sanctification going on in your life. If you haven't given your life to Christ yet, understand that there's a process going on in your life as well. And the process is that God is constantly inviting you to a relationship with him, even this morning, that God desires to have a relationship with you. In Romans 12, it talks about it, familiar scripture for a lot of us. Therefore, I urge you, 
brothers, I would say brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. That's what happens to us when we are disciples. We're we're growing, we're transforming, right? Transformed by the renewing of our mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And a lot of times we don't read verse 3, but I'm going to read it this morning because it's an important part of this portion of Scripture and connected to what we're talking about. For the grace given me, I say, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, don't think of yourself as anything else except for the way God thinks of you. When Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, he's not saying that you're not important. He's just saying that we think things that are outside of God's desire for us. And that God's desire for us is the best plan. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Kierkegaard says this, with God's help I shall become myself. So then we move on to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. So the church has started, verse 32, it says now they're getting together, people are getting saved, right? Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, everyone say great power. power. All right, great power. The apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So great power here means the ability to exert influence on a global scale. In other words, God's doing a, a huge work, and it's starting here in Jerusalem. The scripture goes on, and it says, they were giving, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace. Everyone say great grace. That, that word there, great grace, simply means closest connected to favor. God's favor was on the early church. Have you ever been there where you just sense the favor of God, just God's favor? God's, God's great grace was upon you, and we've experienced that as a church. There's been these seasons and moments of great grace. You just see it's like beyond this moment of just what some would refer to as just grace, there's great grace. It's interesting in the book of Acts, it also talks about miracles, and then it talks about extraordinary miracles, that there are these moments where God seems, to, it seems like, how, do, how can you be, how can grace be better than grace, right? Then there's these moments of great grace, like you literally are overwhelmed by it. So this great grace is being issued forth in the lives of these people. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands and houses, sold them and brought the proceeds to what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as they had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which we talked about last week. This is Barnabas' introduction, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him that brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So it's amazing. There's great grace going on. And the reason some, some uh, commentators say the reason that they specifically talk about Barnabas selling lamb, because this is a common thing that's happening in the early church, but maybe he was the first one, or maybe it was such an extravagant gift. We're not really sure. But for some reason, 
They specifically name Barnabas as giving this land. So he becomes an exemplar of the generosity that's going on. There's a lot more people giving land. Great grace is causing supernatural activity in these people. Now, it's interesting when you read about the, new, the church in the New Testament, in the book of Acts specifically, you can begin to think that the church was perfect. But then we come to Acts chapter 5, and this is where we're going to talk for the last few minutes about what happens now. So all these great things are going. Barnabas sells this land, gives it to the apostles, lays it at their feet. Miracles are happening. And we're going to pick up the scripture with a video, actually. So let's check out this video. Chapter 5. There are some stories that end with a quaint little phrase, and they lived happily ever after. But this is not one of those stories. This is the grim tale of Ananias and Sapphira. The early church had begun to flourish, and all the believers were getting along quite splendidly. They shared everything they had with one another, claiming nothing as their own. There were no needy people among them. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles as a gift. Joseph was one such man who sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles as an offering. And oh, what a wonderful blessing it was to everyone. All the believers were encouraged and celebrated Joseph's selfless act. Well, not everyone. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira, who were counted among the believers, saw the way Joseph was admired and grew very jealous. He thinks he's better than us, they grumbled to each other. We deserve that kind of attention. They dwelt on it day and night. Finally, one night, they devised a plan to sell a piece of land, secretly keeping part of the money for themselves and giving the rest to the apostles. They would not necessarily say they were giving all of the money they received from the sale. They would just let everyone assume it. And presto, they would instantly be famous as self-sacrificing believers who surrendered everything to Jesus. So, with his wife's consent, Ananias sold the land, secretly kept part of the money, and brought the remainder to the apostles. But Peter saw right through Ananias, saying, Ananias, why have you let evil fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor dead. Everyone who heard the news was filled with fear. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. Everyone nervously watched as Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? The room felt silent. Yes, she replied. That was the price? Peter responded, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test God like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. When the young men returned, they found her body. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church and, in fact, 
Everyone who heard of these things had a newfound respect for God. So, unfortunately, there's no happy ending in this tale. But there is a warning here to take God very seriously. Dare I say, <laughs> deadly serious. <laughs> Wow. Could you imagine inviting somebody to church after that happened? Come to our church. You may die. Anyway, I love, this is, there's certain scriptures that jump out. At the end in Acts 5, it says, at the end of the story, it says, And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these things. Do you think? Uh, Look at your neighbor and just mention to ask them the question, are you all in? Are you all in? Be careful how you answer. Are you all in? I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the drift toward hypocrisy. Um, There's a lot that we could talk about with this scripture, but uh, one thing that is clear is there is a clear message that's not only imparted in the early church, um, but imparted to all of us. And here's the reality. Um, there's no one in this room that has not done hypocritical things, including myself. We're all, we've all done it. We've all, uh, I don't think we aspire to be hypocritical, and that's why we're going to talk about this for a few minutes, um, is the invitation to be authentic. What is it about us that so easily makes us try to paint a picture of who we are that is inaccurate instead of being authentic and honest. And we want to encourage one another uh, in being authentic people, authentic followers of Christ, right? Here's one definition for um, hypocrisy. Do we have, yeah, this one here. Hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocrites under a mask, i.e. a theater actor, Figuratively, a two-faced person. In biblical Greek, a dissembler or a pretender. So um, this was when, when this whole issue and the issue of hypocrisy, certainly Jesus, it's one of his favorite uh, subjects to talk about, especially when he talks with the Pharisees to try to help them come to a, a knowledge of truth. Uh, he talks a lot about hypocrisy and then the early church continues to talk about it. How about this other definition of uh, hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious belief or principles that one does not really possess. So our desire is to just not, to not falsely identify with who we are, right? Because what happens is hypocrisy is birthed in a place of mistaken or false or pretend identity is what I would think is like what happens to us is we forget who we are. We forget who God has created us to be. We forget that we have great grace on our life. We forget that God is with us even in our incompleteness, even in our process, even in our um, sin at times. Um, and, and hypocrisy can actually keep us from the things that bring life in our, our life, things like repentance, right? So, um, Anyway, what happens, I think, in the church, and hypocrisy is not limited to the church at all, 
Um, but certainly it needs to be a conversation because I don't think it's a conversation that happens enough. And then there's those humorous stories that, that happen too. One time I was driving toward the fountain. I've shared this before, driving toward the fountain. And this person and I have laughed about this since then. Uh, but it was a person in the church. I was driving toward the fountain. And those of you that are familiar with Marshall, if you're going down Michigan Avenue toward downtown, as you approach the fountain, there's this merging of the lanes and the two lanes go down to one. And so at some point, you just got to be courteous. And uh, I'm driving down Michigan Avenue. I was in the right lane. Apparently, I wasn't paying a lot of attention. I'm sure I wasn't. I was, I'm sure I was worshiping or something. Talking about Anyway, um, driving down the street. And this person was trying to, like, get in front of me. And I, apparently, I just wasn't paying attention. I just kept going. Well, she finally flipped me off. She gave me the universal sign for, you're such a great neighbor. And uh, her husband, another guy in the church, uh, was in the passenger seat. And he said, oh, look, it's pastor. And he was waving. He, he started waving because she obviously, at least I hope she didn't realize who I was. Um, not that that really mattered. But... We laughed about it later, and I'm just glad we don't have church bumper stickers uh, because that's one of the reasons we don't. Um, anyway, so there's those things that happen that, you know, we can kind of laugh at, but the truth of the matter is, is uh, those moments can maybe help us. But what happens to us in the church is we kind of learn the game if we're not careful. We learn the game of faith and Christianity. We learn, uh, we can learn it in other ways, but in the church... Uh, like we can grab language, like there's certain language we use around here um, that we intentionally use because we think it's important uh, and we hope that it starts to become a part of the fabric of our being. Uh, Like for instance, you can even finish some of the things that Claire and I say sometimes, like we read the Bible not for information but for Right? So you can, you can take in that saying, that language, for instance, you can just take it in and just begin to let it ruminate in your spirit, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to change anything in your life, right? So we have language in the church that doesn't assure that you transform. So it be, can become a trap. So we grab language uh, without heart, or I would say we grab language without life. So it's not bringing life to us, it's just language. And then the language becomes the actual trip up to us. Uh, Like here, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias, both of them, it's Peter just says, look, it's your money. You didn't have to do this. There's no rule. You're not going to find a scripture that says you have to sell your land and give all your money. They were doing it. It's like, look, this isn't even between us and you. This is between you and God. So you see all of these things begin to take place with Ananias and Sapphira here. The other thing that we do in the church is we'll grab hold of action, like we'll do things at times, but we'll grab hold of action without alignment, like our heart's not aligned with God's desire for our life. Um, And how this shows up is it shows up in like disciplines or practices. See, We'll encourage, for instance, like uh, some churches are big on journaling or big on certain disciplines. You know, it might be solitude and silence, it might be prayer, whatever the discipline is. And what happens if we're not careful is the discipline, uh, the practice becomes the signpost for our faith as opposed to what Jesus would say or what you see in the book of Acts in chapter 4 at the end, fruitfulness. See, now there's no metric 
in uh, spiritual formation. That's one of the hang-ups for us. We want to be able to measure this better, but really what you need to look to is fruitfulness. Now, that doesn't mean that disciplines and practices aren't important. They are important, but the point isn't that you would do disciplines and practice. The point of prayer isn't just so you pray. The point of prayer is that you and I would have a deeper relationship with Christ. Get it? The, the reason that you do uh, Bible reading isn't just for information, it's for transformation. The reason that we give in offerings isn't just so somebody can see us come up to a basket, it's that our lives would be growing in generosity, fruitful, changing, right? So there's a drift that can start to happen if we're not careful, and obviously we see the this drift in an extreme measure with Ananias and Sapphira. Um, And there's two things, two components to this, I think. The first is that we have a tendency to pursue appearance over reality. We pursue appearance over reality. Here's the reality. This is the reality that you and I are beloved of God. We are loved by God. That is the reality. That's the, that, that when, when the scripture says great grace was among them, there was this sense in the early church that, they, that God's grace was on them. They had watched a lot of failure. They were continuing to fail. Peter was in their midst, right? There were people that had done things, that had denied Christ. They had watched a lot of stuff. They watched Jesus forgiving people, calling uh, calling people friend that betrayed him. They watched all of this, and in spite of all of that, they see God's grace on them. So they had this sense of reality. So when we know the reality, I can, when you and I know the reality, we can freely move in and out of being authentic. We can live in an authentic way. What do I have to hide? Because at the end of the day, it's by grace that I'm saved through faith. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's nothing that you've done. You, you couldn't give enough money. You couldn't sell enough houses. You couldn't behave well enough. You can't do it. That's the reality. But what happens to us is we pursue appearance over reality. So the reality is God loves us. But appearance starts to say it's the same temptation that Jesus went through. It's the same temptation that you see here that Ananias and Sapphira fail on every level. It's the appearance questions are the, uh, the appearance of performance, provision, and posturing, right? It's I am. We start to say I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what, or I am what people say I am, right? And when we begin to function that way, see, because this is what starts to happen to Ananias and Sapphira, this is what happens to us when we function in hypocrisy, is we start being concerned about I am what I do, like my work, what I put my hands to. Some of us in our, introduce ourselves that way, but that's what we, how we know ourselves. I am uh, what I have, the material things I have, the family that I have, the, the, the heritage that I have, the community I live in. I have these things, right? So that, that's part of the appearance. So we got to keep that up, right? Or I am what other people say I am. So if other people say that I'm amazing, and that's, that's a big issue here, right? Like Ananias and Sapphira wanting them to say, because they had watched Barnabas be able to be encouraged, and they say, this is the son of encouragement. This guy's generous. He's hitting on all cylinders. And there becomes this desire to appear something that we're not. 
It's this whole issue. It's the same thing at the, at the temptation. Uh, the enemy, um, when it came to, I am what I do, the enemy asked Jesus to jump off of a temple. He tells him to bow down uh, and that he'll get all the kingdoms of the world, that you are what you have. And then he, he tells him to jump off the temple and wow the people, that the people will be amazed at who you are. All of those things. And this is what happens to us, is for some reason something goes off in us where we forget that we are just, we are, we are beloved of God that God loves us unconditionally, that in spite of the fact that I I loved Claire's prayer, even in the offering, for instance, it's like we pray for those that do not have to give, right? And no matter where we're at with any of this stuff, part of what we're invited to is just to receive the goodness of the fact that God unconditionally loves us. There's no ticket admission here. There's no appearance admission. And, and the, the spirit uh, of the world and the spirit of the enemy would try to get us to appear as though we're not, as though we're something that we're not, and it's dangerous. God loves us. Just rest in it. Rest in the reality of that. Psalm 139 says, For it is God who formed my inward parts, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know that very well. Another portion of Scripture says, God has inscribed you on the palm of God's hands. Another Scripture says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I continue my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built. God is for you and God is for me. Whether or not I appear what the world wants me to appear or not. Because all of us at, the, at different moments in our life, listen, if, if you just bank on you are what you do, there, you do know there comes a time when you won't be able to do what you do on your best day. You do know that if it hasn't happened to you, which I highly doubt, that not everybody has a lot of great stuff to say about you. If, if you haven't had that happen, I've got some tips. I've got ways to help people say bad things about you. I seem to be able to get that to happen. So the reality, I'm going to live in the reality of God's love for me. And secondly, is we forget about authentic community, this powerful thing that's happening in the book of Acts where there's this iron sharpening iron, authentic community. It's important. Faith-filled, authentic, real-life community. We are invited to that. See, um, some people think community is just a justification for error. Like, all of us are familiar with that. You've seen, like, a friend or somebody that you know or uh, somebody at work that they seem to gravitate toward a group that's broken to affirm their brokenness. You see that a lot of times relationally, like people are having relational problems, and at a certain point, some people will just gravitate toward other people that got a lot of relational brokenness, not really because they want to be healed or to get that right, simply because they want the brokenness affirmed. And the point isn't to get the brokenness affirmed, the point is to get the brokenness healed, right? So that's different. We're talking about authentic relationships, faith-filled, healthy community which is going on here in the book of Acts, is a place where you and I can help reclaim the truth about us. What's the truth? Well, we just said it. The truth is that we're beloved. 
So when I know, when I'm with other believers that understand they're beloved and I'm beloved, we're loved by God, what happens is that becomes a place where we bless one another, where we celebrate one another, where we pray for one another. When, when, when we're beloved, when we know it, the people that we make sure are a part of our life, it becomes this place of strength in authenticity, and we celebrate the fact that God loves us. Simple as that. And also, and just as important, is we also get together to realize that we all need pruning. We are loved by God. We are full of the grace of God. We've been totally, unconditionally given life by God, and we also are sinners, even after we give our life to Christ. And that requires pruning. And this gets hard. Um, it's interesting. I have a friend of mine uh, several years ago told me that when he was going to seminary, that one of the classes that uh, he was in, he was taught literally uh, the pastor's mystique. The pastor's mystique. And it, the teaching was essentially, you went in and the, the professor just said, uh, you know, there, is, there are just some things you just can't be vulnerable as a pastor. You've got a mystique to withhold, like you are the standard bearer, and your life should be like uh, exemplary. Well, I, I think all of us at this point would say, well, that, that hasn't helped a lot of people. You know, so if at a leadership level, this is what we impart to the congregation is this falsehood, this mystique where we're not authentic. And listen, I don't think every conversation for everybody's life is for a Sunday morning. Don't get me wrong. And I do think that people hurt one another with story. But when the, the, when at a leadership level, we're training people to have a mystique, which literally is trained in hypocrisy. Let's stand in front of a bunch of people and not be real about our life, that we're real people and that things happen and that when they happen, we're on this journey together. That's what you see in the book of Acts, but you're not seeing it. It's, it goes on. And of course, he wasn't impressed with this pastor's mystique, but he said, oh yeah, he said, we were trained in it. The fact of the matter is you and I are sinners, all of us. And we all need pruning. James 5 says it this way. Make this common practice. Think of community. Confess your sins each to another. Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful and to be reckoned with. He goes on and he says, My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. The other night, we were with some good friends of ours, Claire and I, and when we left, we had a beautiful and really open, authentic conversation. And when we left, Claire and I looked at each other and said, that was powerful. That was really powerful. That that what we talked about, the four of us, that we were able to talk about. And it was authentic. It was open. One person said, you know, I did this, and I'm not sure that I should have done it. I want to open this up to everybody else, get input. But they know that they're going to be held in the reality of the fact that they know they're beloved by God in that group. 
And it was, it was profound. And Claire and I said, this is the kind of life I want to have. I want to be able to have conversations that are meaningful, that does matter. When I do things, I want to be checked. If I feel like I need to be checked in it, I want to have conversations that cause growth in my life. It's beautiful. Authentic community. Which leads me to this. I want to just leave you with a quote for this week as we all move forward to try to um, move into not living hypocrisy, but living in an authentic way, living in a way that's open to God, enjoying the reality of how much God loves us, the lack of our perfection. This is not an excuse, as Paul would say. Uh, we don't, we're, this is not an excuse so that we just go off and sin however we want to sin. This is just facing the reality that we have falling short in our life. We have sins that happen in our life, and we need to work through those things openly and honestly and not try to pretend with one another, not try to project something that we're not, because in that way, I think we live fully into God. So if you want to write this down, I think this might be a good thing to put on your fridge and try to remember this. Maximize your walk and minimize your talk. In other words, give your energy to spiritual growth and minimize your talk. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. We get ourselves into a lot of trouble when we don't walk humbly. Ananias and Sapphira, it was the desire to not walk humbly. It was the desire to be seen as something that they weren't. That'll get all of us in trouble. So maximize your walk. Minimize your talk.
retrace my steps through all my failure. Walk me out the other side. For who could dare ascend the mountain?
awesome. 